Well, good morning, church. We are in the midst of a series, Nehemiah, and we're asking the question, what's next? What's next is that we continue to give sacrificially. We continue to pour ourselves out and give in ways that we feel it, right? That we're sacrificing for what? For amazing things here? No, we want amazing things to happen in in the lives of people in our community and ultimately around the world. We want to not just meet practical needs. We want to see souls saved. We want to see eternity change because we're willing to roll up our sleeves and we're willing to give again and again and sacrifice. So, and that's where Nehemiah was. He was living a life of relative comfort and ease, but in his heart, when the compassion rose up, he knew that he had to do something about the need around him. What is it that God is working in your heart that he's preparing you for the next step, that there's going to be a call on your life, not just to continue to pray about things, but actually be the answer to those prayers. Have you considered that? The things that keep coming up in your heart and your mind of, is anybody doing anything about that? And there, there's a problem and who's going to solve it? And there's so many issues and so much brokenness and somebody's got to step up. What if it's you? What if you're the solution? What if you're the answer? We're going to see from Nehemiah what it looks like to actually not just pray, but to, to go, to, to accomplish the purposes of God. So Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah 2, that we're going to talk about today of accomplishment moves us. It, it moved Nehemiah, and he was moved with compassion. He was with God. He spent four months praying and fasting and grieving, and then it came time. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 2 of Nehemiah. In the month of Nisan, around March, around the beginning of springtime, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, he says, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king, right? Because that's part of his job description. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Why is that a big deal? Because his livelihood demanded that every time he's in the presence of the king, he had to make sure that he was happy, that he was the most joyful person in the room because he was in the presence of the king. What would it mean if you like you came in glum and gloomy and that you were sad and depressed? If you walked in like that in the presence of the king, how do you think that would go for you? You you just might hear off with his head. Something something like that. Something like that. You're going to die. How dare you defy being in my presence and not being overjoyed to see me? Do you know how difficult it was for Nehemiah to continue hiding and covering up and trying to do his job without breaking down, freaking out. Why? Because for four months, he was weeping and grieving and fasting and praying over the condition of Jerusalem. He was brokenhearted over God's people. God's heart was breaking, and so was Nehemiah's, and he still had a job to do. Have you been there? Like, I got to show up for work. I got to go throughout my day, maybe at school, maybe it's whatever appointment you have, maybe it's through practice, and you're like, I cannot lose it. I cannot lose it. There's so much going on. There's so much on my shoulders. I'm ready to freak out and lose it, but I can't. There's a job in front of me, and what happened here? Verse 2, the king caught him. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, we got a problem. The king says, why is your face sad? You're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart, and in that moment, what What did Nehemiah do? His sadness of heart turned to his heart dropping, thinking that, am I going to die today? I'm I'm caught. I'm caught, right? Then I was very, very 
much afraid. All right. So I need you to participate. All right. So my part is to read that one more time. Your part is to respond. Maybe how Nehemiah would have responded getting busted, right? He's scared for his life. So your best gasp, your best, oh no, right? Your best horror. You get to, if you're going to scream, just do it for a split second. All right. No, no, no prolong, but here we go. The king caught him. The king says, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. So much afraid that what was his first response? Verse three, uh, 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 let, let, let the king live forever. Let the king live forever. Why, why should my face not be sad? The city, the place of my father's graves, it lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Floodgates opened and he just dumped everything. Do you do that in the presence of the king? Oh, oh no, you do not. No, you do not do this. He's going to be in trouble, right? Well, what did the king say? His response, what exactly are you requesting of me? <gasps> oh, oh. So what did he do in a split second? I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed. I prayed in that moment. Uh, I have no idea what he's going to do. I don't, it's not just losing his job. It's potentially losing his life. If you're taking notes, write this down. Be patient. Be patient. Waiting for God is not wasting time. Be patient. This entire time leading up to this moment, four months, November, and now we're in March. November is when the messengers came all the way from Jerusalem. Now we're in March. Four months later, he had been grieving, weeping, praying, fasting. Was it wasted? Was it wasted? Was it wasted? No, he was getting alone. He was being, everybody say being, he was spending time being with God, hearing God's voice, grieving over what needed to be grieved over, confessing his sin, confessing the sin of his people, waiting for clarity, waiting for the calling, waiting for the green light, waiting for the go-ahead, for the door to open, and maybe you're there right now. Is it time yet? Is it time? Is it time? Like, I've been waiting a long time. I've been waiting hours, God. I've been waiting days, God. I've been waiting weeks. Is it time yet? We see him month after month. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. God, show me. When, when is it going to be time? There are legitimate fears that he has about the future, about how this is going to play out, but it wasn't time yet. He was waiting for the whistle, and here it is. Here it is. And, and can we say this? Do you believe there are needs everywhere? I mean, everywhere you look, you're like, this world is in so much need. Our community is in so much need. Maybe for some of my family is in so much need. The things that we're facing, the, the brokenness and the grieving over what should have been and why it's still a mess. Could we get some clarity? The need does not equal a call on your life. Just because the need's there doesn't mean you are always the person to meet the need. Do you think Nehemiah was maybe asking, God, I am so moved with compassion. My heart is broken. And he's waiting. God, is it me? Like, am I the answer? I'm willing. He's not saying, somebody else will do it. It's 800 miles away. I don't want to leave my sweet condo, my sweet job. He was willing to go, but in the waiting, he was waiting for God to confirm. Are you, are you there right now? God, is it me? Am I supposed to speak up? Am I supposed to step into that? Am I supposed to meet that need? And whether that's here at the church, whether that's in the community, whether it's at your workplace, whether that's just extended family, are you the person to solve the problem? Well, in the waiting, you're not wasting time. You're not wasting time. Waiting on God is so difficult. Howard Hendricks said this, a great pastor uh, and professor of uh, a few generations ago. He said, waiting on God is putting your motor in neutral when you feel like stripping your gears. Anybody connect with that? Like, I'm ready to go now. I'm ready to be 
part of the solution. This is a major problem, and I believe I'm supposed to fix it. So if you are a Mr. or Miss Fix-It, understand the priority of waiting on God. Is this mine to fix? Is this mine to enter in and to roll up my sleeves? How about this? Number two, jot this down. Not just be patient, but be bold. Be bold. Everybody say, be bold. Favor is not fair. Favor is not fair. We see favor, the favor of God here. And where did it start? Well, just at the end of verse four. Do you see that? So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's where it began. And then verse five, I said to the king, how long did he have to pray? He's like, I'm in the moment. I got to speak up. I got to answer him. Uh, have you ever, we, we used to call them Hail Mary prayers. I don't know if that's necessarily the, the best. Uh, maybe little baby arrow prayers. You just fire one off and you're like, I don't have time to get alone and pray about this. Like, I need help, God, right now. There's a situation I have to answer. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And all of a sudden here we have Nehemiah going from, I prayed quickly, and what would you expect to follow? Probably expect the prayer that he prayed, right? Every time in scripture it says, and then they prayed, and then I prayed, it usually has the prayer. Here, there's not even enough time. Ah, ah, if it pleases the king, if it, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor, someone say favor, there is favor. If your servant has found favor in your sight, oh, whew, send me to Judah. Send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He's sweating at this point. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? I, I don't know what else to do except just kind of speak, speak the truth. I'm scared to death. I don't know what it's going to cost me. Verse six, the king said to me, just a little, do, do you see in, in brackets there? The queen sitting beside him, this is what happens. The two of them sitting there hearing this, how, how long will you be gone? Do you think that's what she whispered in his ear? I don't know. We can speculate, right? Um, don't kill him. Just ask him how long he's going to be gone. Uh, okay, okay. And when are you going to return? That's what favor looks like. This is how he should have responded. This is how he actually responded. Anybody think God's in this? that where God's opening a door, God's providing favor. This isn't Nehemiah's eloquence. This isn't his hard work. This is God intervening. And it pleased the king, he said, to send me when I had given him a time. It's bold. That's bold faith, right? Bold step of faith. When God is going to call us to something that's bigger than us, that it's gonna, it's gonna bring us to a place where we need to recognize I'm not going to wait till I'm not scared. I'm not going to wait till it makes complete sense. If God is opening a door, I'm going to step through it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it scared. I'm going to do it afraid. I'm willing to do what God's calling me to do, even if I'm doing it afraid. All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, do it afraid. Do it afraid. Tell him, do it afraid. Do it afraid. Do it afraid. Many of us are waiting until, well, I'm not really comfortable with that. I'll wait until kind of, I, I, I feel like that's really something God's calling me to. I think many of us know God is calling me to obey him. And when he says, do it, what if instead of spending a lot of time, well, I mean, eventually, and when the time's right, what if in the moment God says, do it, I'm going to do it. Even if I'm filled with anxiety, even if I don't know what the outcome is going to be, Nehemiah stepped out. That's bold. That's bold, right? And so for some, maybe you think, well, what, wasn't there a bunch of dudes already in Jerusalem that should have been doing this work? And why didn't they find favor? And Nehemiah found favor. Well, can we just settle on this? Do we, do we believe that God's in control? Yes or no? God's in control. Does, does God get to choose who he shows favor upon and who he gets to choose to go as his messenger and go as his, 
his worker and his leader. Does God get to get to choose that? Are we, are we okay with that? Right? Tr- truth by democracy, by voting. Should we vote on that? See if everybody's okay with it. God's going to show favor on who he's going to show favor. He's going to choose who he's going to choose. He is going to raise up people, even if it seems totally inconvenient, even if it seems like, why didn't you pick a guy down the road instead of a few countries over? Why would, because God's going to show favor and he's going to show favor, not based on necessarily a track record, but who's available, who's available to do the work. And he was willing to do it, to risk, to risk it all. Psalm 127.1, if you want to jot this down, Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, unless, unless God's in it and God's calling and God's leading, it's builders labor in vain. And Nehemiah knew the Lord's going to build something and he wants to use me to build it. And he was available. He was available. How about this? Number three, write this down. Be intentional. Everybody say intentional. Intentional. Be intentional. Planning is not, it's not optional. Verses seven through nine. Do you see this? I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the provident, uh, of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city, for the house that I shall occupy. What did the king do? Do you see it? The king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God. The good hand of my God was upon me. And then I came to the governor's of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent me officers, the army and horsemen. Anybody catching what's happening here? The king that destroyed the walls of Jerusalem in the first place is allowing his worker, one of his leaders, not just to have like a getaway and a vacation, but to go and undo what he did. And not only that, but talk about boldness that he doesn't just say, okay, you're not going to kill me. I'm going to run before you change your mind. He says, oh, actually, there's a few other requests I have. Anybody think that's unusually bold? Run before you die and instead another thing. And here's another thing. Do you think that God's in this? You think that God is not just working in the provision, but do you believe that it starts with you? Starts with me? What's happening inside? I believe God wants me to do this. I'm going to be bold, bolder than I've ever been before to ask for resources, to ask for help, to ask for people to join me, to be able to move ahead, not just with a little bit, but to, if we're going to do it right, this is what is going to be needed. Talk about planning. He had laid out an entire plan of what his resources, what he needed. And the king said, yes. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. And and diligent there is the plans of those that have forethought and work really hard to structure and administrate and oversee to execute these plans. Solomon says, it's going to lead to abundance. It's going to lead to great profit. It's going to be beneficial. But, everybody say but, here's also what the back end of that proverb says. Everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And as we look at being intentional and planning, We have people that have lived their lives. Well, I kind of just wing it in Jesus' name. I kind of just, I think the Holy Spirit works better when we just, we're spontaneous because God's just a spontaneous God and and we don't even have to think about it. We don't have to plan for anything. We're just gonna gonna go. We're just gonna go and do it and God's just gonna show up. 
And then we have others that are like, Holy Spirit, who? Um, if, if I show you my plans and all of the things that I've put together of how to get the job done, I guess I should consult God, but I don't have time for that because my plan is so perfect. And I've thought of everything in every detail. I don't know where you're at. For some of us, we might. But do we believe that God is a God of planning and God is a God of order and that God has called us to, to pray and to consider and to get prepared? And for others of us, we just need to hear our plans don't automatically get God's rubber stamp of approval because we worked really hard to make sure our plan was tight and we thought of every possible outcome and we have plan B and plan C. Do you know where you're at in that? Do you know if, if you need to meet the third person in the Trinity that is supposed to lead you, that you are supposed to be led by the Spirit, not led by your own ingenuity and your own brilliance? And for those of us that wake up every day and just say, I'm just going to wing it today. God, I hope you show up. Otherwise, this whole thing is just going to fall apart. I don't know where you're at, but this is where Nehemiah was. He spent four months weeping and praying. And if in that moment when the king confronted him, if immediately he was able to spit out a plan laying out exactly how, what the resources are, do you think in those four months he might have spent some of that time preparing and planning for exactly what needed to happen for the solution as he was praying? He was planning. It's both. Everybody say it's both. It's both. We see that, we see that here. Being intentional, doing on purpose what God has called us to do. In the planning, we assess the way forward. We get honest about the present. Here's the current situation. Not great. We're in trouble. This needs to be fixed. Maybe it's at home and you need to pause and go, this whole marriage thing, it's not working out right now. We need to assess the present. There are things that are broken that we need to work on and get fixed. For some of us, it's in parenting. For some of us, it's following leadership in our home. For others, it's bosses, teachers, whatever it is that we have relationships that we need to step way back and we need to be asking some, some questions about where am I really at right now? What is God calling me to do? Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Things need to change. I need to start getting intentional about planning for something different. And we need to anticipate obstacles. Right now, what's in the way? What's in the way? And then allocate resources to accomplish God's goals. Everybody say God's goals. Not, not my personal goals, not the thing I want to see, but what is God wanting to do right now? And what is he wanting to do in the future and I, I wrote down, intentionality is godly. Intentionality is it's godly. Spontaneity is not necessarily spirit-led. Do on purpose what you're prone to delay and do in the moment. Number four, write this down. Be focused. Opposition is not avoidable. Opposition is not avoidable. Verse 10, oh boy. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, they, they heard these plans, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So these were dudes that were close by. They could have been part of the solution, but instead they were angry that a solution was, was coming. So at the same time, and, and hopefully we hear this, at the same time that God is placing something on your heart to be part of the solution, do you believe that Satan is preparing 
opposers, enemies of the work. Do you believe it? Have you seen it? Every time that you get burdened and you're like, you can't sleep at night or you're having conversations with people and you get fired up about, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of working together to be able to accomplish a mission like this. I want to work for Jesus. I want to see lives changed. At the same time that you're getting fired up, the same time that that you're getting overwhelmed with the needs around you, Satan is already preparing an army. Say, just wait. Get your target set. Get ready to attack. Because whenever God is about to build, Satan is about to destroy. And and you're going to experience it if you have not yet, every single time. And guess where it comes from? It comes from those that you least expect. It comes from those that maybe should be part of the solution and they're now part of the problem. It often comes from those that are maybe even supposed to be partners together and now we're enemies. We're supposed to be working side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and now there's a knife in the back. Believe it, it's coming. It's coming. Nehemiah knows that this is such a huge call that there's got to be so much opposition. He's got to stay focused. Verse 11, when I, when I went to Jerusalem, this is what Nehemiah says, I was there for, I just stayed for three days. I wonder if we could connect some dots. How did this whole thing start? It started with four months of fasting and praying. Do you think when he landed and he heard of the coup, he heard of the enemy preparing, that maybe he spent those three days saying, I need to commit these to the Lord. I need to pray that my heart would be right, that I would be prepared for opposition during this time. God wants to accomplish things. Satan wants to destroy it. I believe that he was deep with God, getting alone. Verse 12, here we go. After those three days, it says, I arose in the night. In the what? At nighttime, he's like, nighttime is go time. It's late. It's dark. It's time. Let's go. Okay. Did he go alone? What, What does verse 12 say? I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So apparently the past three days had been a time of God's laying specific things on his heart. He didn't do it alone, though he got alone with God. He rallied some men together. There was no animal with me, but one on which I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate, to the dragon spring, to the dung gate. Dung gate? What's that all about? As you guessed it, yes. What goes in must come out. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I don't know who needs to hear this, but leaders are awake when everyone else is sleeping. Leaders are awake when everybody else is sleeping. When the need that should be on the heart of God's people should be burdening everyone, should be firing everyone up, should be getting everybody to get up and do, you see leaders are awake. Leaders are ready to go maybe at the most inconvenient time, maybe when it's not comfortable. God is calling each one of us to lead, to lead, to lead the way. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a leader. Let them know, you're a leader, you're a leader. Be awake with God. Be awake with God's plan. Be patiently awake. Be boldly awake. Be intentionally awake. Be focused and awake. God's people don't sleep their one short life away. They're awake. They're awake to the purposes of God. They're awake to the mission of God. Church, could we, could we say this is a season where we arise to do the work? 
This is not a season to rest and to relax and to be comfortable, not to be distracted, but to be focused on the one mission to accomplish God's goals. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. And how many of us have wasted much of our life falling asleep to the things of God when God's goals and God's plans are going out to all, but only a few are awake to even hear and listen and follow through on the commitments that they make. I don't, I don't know where we're at, church. I don't know where we're at because I don't know where you're at individually with this. But what if this is a season that God is saying, wake up, wake up. The distractions and the busyness and the preoccupation with things that do not matter. Wake up and be alive, fully engaged to the mission, to the mission. Verse 14, then what did he do? He went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool. There, there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Like this is a struggle, trying to find a place. Verse 15, then I, I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and I turned back and I, I entered by the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, the rest, who were to do the work. Nobody knew. He's taking initiative. He's going out. He's doing the preparation. He's doing the work that God's calling him to do. Verse 17, and then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Do you see it? I'm seeing it firsthand. I heard about it secondhand, and now I see the trouble we're in with my own eyes. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned down. Come, come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. So at first glance, you could say, well, isn't Nehemiah really a book about like building walls and, and building up buildings again? And I, and I think there's a sense in which if we don't see what's happening here, we see one man that understands a project needs to be done, right? And as the project's getting done, the greater project is what? The greatest project of all is a people project, right? It's a people project. So it's not just about getting the work done with our hands. It's about us doing it together, fully engaged, that we're united doing this work. But what did Nehemiah do? Did Nehemiah wait for somebody else to put it like, can you put a planning committee together and maybe I'll kind of head it up? And he's like, I'm going to do it when no one's looking and nobody else seems like they're doing anything about it. I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to take it on my own shoulders, but I'm not going to do it alone. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. And I love this. What we can see as a building project is actually the Spirit of God moving where he's doing a heart project on his people to rally together. For some of us, we have been giving and giving and giving and sacrificing for a long time, and you know who you are. And many times, many times it feels like, why am I the only one? Why am I the only one taking initiative? Why am I the only one willing to do what nobody else is doing? Why do I always have to get stuff started? Why do I always have to be the first one to step out? Why do I have to be the one to always call people to get moving? It's a lonely, lonely place. Have you been there? Maybe right now. It's like, where is everybody? Where is everybody? Nehemiah was less concerned about what everybody else was doing. He was willing to go when nobody else was willing to go, but he refused to do it by himself. And I see that 
among our church. I see individuals that are not waiting. Hey, hey, preacher, why don't, why don't you like put something together? Why don't you solve that problem? Why don't you start a ministry? Why don't you take care of that? Why don't you go ahead and fight for a budget so that we can get some other things moving? Why are we neglecting these areas? What's the deal? What kind of church is this? I love the fact that we are a church where individuals are saying, well, I see that there's a need here. I'm willing to do it. I see that we don't have a budget for it. I'm willing to cover that. How much do you think it costs? I can write a check right now. God is burdening individuals that are willing to take the initiative, that are willing to do it when nobody else will, when it's the most inconvenient time, when it hurts the most to give financially, that we're a church that's saying it's going to get done. And I don't care who's who's going to be held back. I don't care who's going to be attacking in the opposition and the gossip. I'm about like just getting it done. And I want to see God's work move forward. Nehemiah was pretty fired up about this. But here, here's the hard part. Some of us are not just discouraged because we're doing it alone. Some of us are discouraged because we're preoccupied with things that don't matter. We're discouraged because we're too busy looking around at what others are not doing. Instead of being part of the solution, we have a tendency to step back and be these guys that should have already been helping, that should have seen the need and met the need, but instead, they're watching others step in, and the only response is, well, they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. What are they doing? I I don't know if your default mode is to sit back and wait till somebody takes initiative, and then when they do, you chew them apart. You attack them and slander them and gossip. You're part of the problem, and that's a problem. God is looking for humble leaders, not seeking credit, but wanting to work together as a team to stop criticizing and to start rolling up sleeves and start giving and sacrificing. And many of us, many of us are doing exactly that. And I wrote this down. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Stay focused on the task. Stay focused on the task. The main thing needs to be the main thing. And discouraged people are often distracted people. So what if we got our eyes off of the problem, off of what other people are or are not doing, and we said, problem, I want to be part of the solution. I'm going to move ahead. And I, I just, I'm watching over and over again individuals that are seeing needs as they are going out in the community as they're interacting with family members. Even every Sunday morning, I get to watch a church that walks in and says, hey, I noticed. And instead of, hey, preacher, I noticed, and you should fix that, more reports of, hey, preacher, there was a problem, and I fixed it. Is there anything else I can do? I took care of it. I saw it, and we didn't need to talk about it because I'm keeping the main thing the main thing of I'm on mission and I'm focused, not not because I'm a specialist in a certain area, but because all of us are willing to be servants. Nehemiah said he's a servant of the Lord, willing to do whatever. Number five, here we go. Be strong, God is not silent. Be strong, God is not silent. He has spoken. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God. Everybody say my God. He's like, 
That's my God. That's my God. My God's powerful. My God brought me here. His hand is upon me. Been upon me for what? For good, for good, for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Can you believe what the king did? Can you believe what the king said? Clearly God's hand is on me. Clearly God's hand is on this. This mission of rebuilding. And they said, I love it. Let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. They could have said, hey, Nehemiah, rise up and build, yo. Go ahead, do it. We'll be watching from here. We'll cut you a check. Good luck with that. We'll sit back and criticize the work that you're doing. They looked at each other and they're like, let us rise up and build. What are you doing? You're building. What are you doing? You're building. We're doing it together. Let's rise up. Why are we sitting around? Why are we looking at only what one man, one man at night is looking at in private, in preparation, getting alone with God? Let's get behind him. Let's get behind the work. Let's get behind what God is doing of bringing glorious rebuilding for a next stage of ministry that he wants to do through his people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Everybody say, that's awesome. Let us rise up and build. But we know, as we said earlier, every time God's people say, arise, let us build, God's enemies say, arise, let us tear down God's builders. They had to strengthen their mind, their heart, as they did the work of their hands because it was a good work. Everybody say it's a good work. It's a good work that God's calling us to. And he's calling Nehemiah and God's people to this good work. Verse 19. Oh, here we go. But, 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 but when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, your response probably should be one of uh, disdain and disgust. I, I don't know what comes to mind, but maybe if you could... Maybe if you could help me out. Maybe, maybe this side, okay? This is your part. This is your part, okay? Can, can you be the, the oh no side for me? Can we, can we practice? One, two, three. Oh no! Okay, like a little bit, a little bit better. You're coming along. You're coming along. One, two, three. Oh no! I know. And, and this side, if you, if you can help me with the, you can be the boo section, all right? Okay, can you, can you practice your, your boo? All right, one, two, three. Boo! Ah, that, that was a boo. That was a boo-boo, all right? So what, one more time, with, with gusto, with heart, all right? One, two, three, boo! All right, all right, that's good, that's good. All right, Sh- should we read that again? You know your cue, you know your cue. I'll, I'll point at you, okay? But when Sembalit, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, that was your cue, you missed your cue. I can't work, I can't, I can't work like this. I can't work like this. All right, you know your cue, all right? Here we go. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, uh, I know, and it, we're not done yet. And then we have Geshem, 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 really? He's an Arab, all right? Okay, okay, all right. He heard of it. He joined the party, right? It wasn't enough that you got these two goofballs, right? Just throwing tomatoes. Now they're rallying other people. Is that not always true? Just always rallying, like, we hate what's happening. Do you hate it too? Join us in our hate group. Let's go pick it, right? Anti-God, anti-ministry, anti-work. Let's rally the troops. They jeered at us, and they despised us. What did they say? What? What is this thing? What's this thing that you're doing? Oh, 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 and here comes the self-righteousness. Are are you rebelling against the king? Oh, you're right, O holy ones that want to destroy God's work. Yes, you're very concerned about them breaking the king's law. 
man, the only, the only way forward is for us to listen to God's voice as we seek to tune out all of the critics' voices, all of the negativity, all of the opposition. You got any critics? Got any critics? You're not working hard enough if you don't have critics, okay? You got to put yourself out there a little bit more. Many of us have had critics for a long time. Some of our critics have criticized us because we just, we failed a lot. We did the bad or we didn't do the good. And we got a lot of people saying, what's the deal? You're a hypocrite, right? Not those people. But what about the people that are like, oh, you think that you're like holy now. Oh, you got religion. Oh, you go to church. Oh, you're doing the Jesus thing. These people, these people are always going to be at you. And here we go. Everybody say, land the plane. Verse 20. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. The God of heaven will make us prosper. Doesn't matter what you say. We, his servants, will arise and build. That's what we're doing. But you have no portion or no right or no claim in Jerusalem. So this is how Nehemiah ends this section, is introduction of the opposition to the work that needs to be done. And what does he do? Does he throw rocks back? Does he attack? Does he accuse? Does he get distracted? Being obsessed with all of the negativity and all the criticism? He's like, well, God's with us, and we're going to be over here doing God's thing. You can kind of talk all you want to, but I don't have time to waste on all kinds of feedback and all kinds of arguments. And I I don't know if you need to hear this today, but what if the reason that we, we get distracted from the work that God's calling us to do is because we're so consumed with, well, what will they say? Or what are they currently saying? And I need to make sure that they don't view it that way and they don't see it that way. What if today could be a day of freedom that you could follow in the footsteps of Nehemiah and say, uh, God's with me. God's calling is on my life. I'm doing what's right in God's eyes. He's the one sending me in. I'm not real concerned about the chatter, about the critics. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to pause. I think it was uh, Churchill, as I was reading some quotes this week, that said, uh, if you are on mission and you are headed to accomplish your goal, you will never get there if you stop to throw rocks at every dog that barks. And guess what? The path of accomplishing God-given goals, your role in God's kingdom, is not going to be accomplished by you constantly getting off the path, off the course, to be able to correct the naysayers. There's not time for that. There's time to roll up our sleeves and do the work and not look back. Many, many have had this plaque hanging up on their wall. And throughout the years, many people that we've known in ministry, Sarah, we should probably get one because all the cool pastors are doing it. But it says, it says this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so as we think about arise and build, arise and build, let's do that right now. Let's let's stand. And as we do, I want us to be able to be focused while I pray. Sarah's going to come up, just send us off with some announcements. But I want us to be able to, during this time, just dedicate a few minutes as we quiet our hearts What is God putting on our heart 
to do, to be sent out to accomplish his mission, and that we would be committed. I think we have a last slide. Let's say this together. These commitments, and really these are all of the five points throughout the message. What is next for me? Let's say this together. I will be patient. Come on. I will be bold. What else? I will be intentional. I will be focused. I will be strong. 